You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's homilies. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. These Sundays of Easter, we slowly unpack what happened on the Sunday of Easter, the day of the resurrection of our Lord. Our gospel today is the road to Emmaus, which we're still talking, as the gospel says, that very day, the first day of the week. We're still on Easter Sunday because there's so much to process here. If you read the whole resurrection account in all four gospels, it's actually rather confused and unclear as the actual facts on the ground. The gospel, the the apostles themselves seem to not really know what's going on for much of it. And they don't try to hide that fact. They're very clear about it. And what's actually interesting is it's not like later when we gathered these four gospels into the New Testament, they were never redacted by some monastic editor to try and present some clear and concise account of the resurrection that's the same in every gospel. Because the resurrection accounts aren't trying to present some cold history, they're doing something very different and actually something much more powerful and much deeper. They're presenting the experience of the apostles in the moment of an event that changed the world, that transformed humanity, that changed our entire relationship with God, the way we know and see God and our eternal destiny. And that's something that is impossible to record with the cold clarity of a modern historian. How do you record the resurrection of God in a history book? But today, I will try to bring clarity to it and actually take the four gospel accounts and kind of weave together, insofar as is possible for us, the story of the morning of the resurrection. Everything up to this moment at Emmaus, because I think it... It's good for us to see that. You know, I I have on many occasions just taken four Gospels, put them side by side, and tried to kind of work my way through that. But I'm also aided today by Monsignor Charles Pope, who has done a really good job of kind of combing through the Gospels. So, the morning of the resurrection, we have several women who go to the tomb, and Mary Magdalene's with them, And they're going there to complete the burial customs because, as we know, Jesus died on Friday. Friday evening is the beginning of the Sabbath. And so he dies on the cross. They take him down and they bury him. But the Sabbath begins, and so they can't work. So they couldn't complete their burial customs. So they go there, and as they go, they're wondering, how are we going to get the grave open? Because the stone is massive. And yet as they come, they find the tomb open. And they assume grave robbers have come. They're terrified. Mary Magdalene immediately runs back to relay the news to the apostles. While the other women remain, they encounter an angel. The angel says, the Lord's not here. He's risen. Go back and tell everyone. But they're terrified and they don't. So who knows what they do for the moment, but they don't go and tell everyone. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene tells the apostles, Peter and John, run to the tomb. And this gospel... Peter and John running to the tomb and finding it empty. 
is the gospel that we hear on Sunday of Easter. We don't actually get an experience of the risen Lord on Easter Sunday, which is beautiful. We just get the empty tomb. John believes. Peter, we don't know. And so we find ourselves in both of their places. What has happened here? Because they don't see an angel and they don't see Christ himself in that moment. While they're gone, those women regain their strength, kind of come to their senses, and they say, we better relay this story that we just, or this experience we just had of this angel to the apostles. And they go and they tell the apostles, the apostles don't believe it. So then Peter and John leave, but Mary Magdalene, who has followed them back, she's unwilling to leave until she finds out what has happened to the Lord. She's afraid, she's sad, but she just will not leave. And so she goes and peers into the tomb. She sees two angels. They ask her why she's weeping. And she says, they've taken his body. I don't know where they've taken it. She doesn't recognize them as angels. And then she turns around and sees Jesus himself. She thinks he's the gardener. So there's a lot of kind of mysterious stuff going on here. She says, where have you taken him? Tell me and so I can go and get him. And then he calls her by name, Mary. And she recognizes him. She goes and she takes hold of him and yells, Rabuni, teacher. And he says, let go of me. I have not yet ascended to the Father, which is very interesting, confusing thing for Jesus to say in that moment. But these reports all go back to the apostles. They're confused. There's hope, but they just don't know yet. And this brings us to the moment of Emmaus, because Cleopas, who's one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and the other disciple, who is likely his wife, Mary. We don't know for sure whether it's Mary, but we know his wife's name was Mary, and that she was one of the disciples at the foot of the cross. So it's likely those two going to their home in Emmaus. They're walking along the road. Jesus joins them. And they have this discussion with him where he asks these naive questions, and then they answer him, do you not know? And then they tell him the story without a lot of hope, And then he spends the seven miles breaking open the word to them. This full seven-mile study of the entire Old Testament, all the prophets, and all the work of God in the Old Testament pointing to him. And then they get to their home, they sit down, and they celebrate a Mass. And it's in the moment, it says in the Scriptures, while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, gave it to them, With that, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he vanished from their sight. So what's going on here? What does this gospel remind us of? Like what, this story, the structure of it, what is it? It is the Mass, as we celebrate it today. It's the foundational form of the Mass. So first, Jesus speaks to them of the scriptures. He gives the scriptures. And then he doesn't only do that in a vacuum, but he speaks of the scriptures as they point to him. Each Sunday throughout the entire year, every Sunday, we hear from the Old Testament. And then we hear the New Testament or the gospel that fulfills that Old Testament passage every week for three years. We split it up over three years. Why do we split it up over three years? Well, because if I tried to preach a seven-mile homily, was that 20 minutes a mile, plus some rest, so two and a half to three hour homily on the entire Old Testament, your hearts would be burning within you in a very different way (laughs) than those disciples' hearts were burning within them. 
on the road to Emmaus. So we take it in small chunks over three years. So they arrive at home after this liturgy of the word, you could say. And they sit down, and Jesus says the blessing. The form of this is the same as the blessing he gives on Holy Thursday at the Last Supper. And then he breaks the bread, and then he gives it to them. And as they receive it, it's in that moment that they recognize him. They see him for who he is, the Lord. But it's also in that exact moment that he vanishes from their sight. It doesn't say, it doesn't even say that he leaves, it's that he vanishes from their sight. Which is a weird thing, because you think if someone just vanished from your sight, it'd be kind of shocking in almost a negative way. But they do not react that way, because they realize what's happened. It's actually the energy that they receive from that experience drives them at once back to Jerusalem, seven miles back to Jerusalem. So quite a journey that day that they took. And they get back and they don't even stop. They relay the whole story and they rejoice the whole time with the apostles. But why did Jesus vanish? That's kind of an odd thing. Why does he vanish from their sight right as they receive the Eucharist? Because, not because he wants to leave, but because he wants to reveal to them this new relationship that they have with him. It's not a relationship of person to person in this world that we have. There's a certain amount of intimacy we can have there, but it's limited. The Eucharist that we receive is a new kind of relationship. And in fact, it's deeper and more profound than the relationship that we have with one another. Because Christ isn't just with us in his person. He enters into our very hearts. And that is what the seven of you will receive today. And your lives will never be the same. You're going to receive the Eucharist. You're going to receive Christ himself in his body and blood. And he will forever be with you in your hearts. You're completely changed today. And you will receive him, God willing, every single week for the rest of your life. Maybe even more. You can receive him every day if you want. We celebrate Mass every day. And what a blessing that that is. The relationship we have with Christ is deeper than the relationship that the disciples had while he was in this world. And we see that in their actual lives. We see that in the way that they live. While he was with them, they were still kind of tepid and lukewarm and afraid. When he leaves and he enters into that Eucharistic relationship with them, that's when they actually have courage. That's when, they're, that's when they take pride in suffering for him. That's when they're willing to die for him. So he truly does change our lives. And then one more note, just on the, on the Mass, as we see it in the road to Emmaus. Because there's often this tension among us. Is the Mass the sacrifice on the cross, or is it a meal like the meal at Emmaus? Yes, is the answer. It's both. There's a tension there, but it's a tension that's beautiful and good. Because what he's celebrating at Emmaus is his sacrifice. So as a meal of thanksgiving, one where Jesus enters into our home, where it's intimate and beautiful, yes. Ought it also to be reverent, yes. The Holy Mass is all those things. And so today, we enter in both to an intimate meal with our Lord, where he gives himself to us, and also to the foot of the cross, where he dies for us. Both of those are happening in this moment. 
And not just in some sort of vague, symbolic way, but in a real way, the Lord is taking us there. He's God. He can do what he wants. And so today, there's a phrase that we've always said at Mass, all the way from the very beginning. And we often take it for granted because we say it every single Sunday. But today I want to be very intentional about this. At one point, the priest breaks the bread. It's the moment that Jesus actually does this. He breaks the bread, and then he raises it, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the words, My soul shall be healed. The Lord enters under our very roof, into our very hearts. Never take that for granted. 